Remember to check out episode 12 with Nick Morrow, where we talk about FCA versus FOB and using the INCO terms correctly. This is Two Babes Talk Supply Chain, where we interview the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about the best practices, changes in the industry, and hot topics in supply chain. We answer all your questions and put the sexy into your supply chain. We are your hosts, Sarah and Nick. Hello to all our Two Babes listeners. We want to thank you all for your support. This week, we hit over 1,000 downloads and moved up the iTunes and Stitchers charts. Today, we have Don Tora, CEO of SIG, and here to talk to us all about sourcing and how the industry has gone from tactical to strategic advantage. Don Tora. CEO and President of SIG, SIG University and Outsource, has over 26 years leadership experience, with the past 22 years focused on the sourcing and outsourcing industry. In 2007, Don joined SIG as CEO, but has been active in SIG as a speaker and trusted advisor since 1999, bringing the latest developments in sourcing and outsourcing to SIG members. Prior to joining SIG, Don held leadership positions as CEO of Denali Group and before that as a partner in a CPA firm. Don is actively involved on a number of boards promoting civic, health, and children's issues in the Jacksonville, Florida area. Don is a licensed CPA and has a BA from the University of Michigan and an MS in taxation from Golden Gate University. Hi, Don, and welcome to the show. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Nice to meet you. Yeah, we're so excited to have you here. So let's get started. Let's get right into sourcing. Can you tell us a little bit about SIG, SIG University, and Outsource? Sure. So SIG stands for SIG, stands for Sourcing Industry Group. And so we are a global membership association for people involved in sourcing and outsourcing. Um, we have majority of the global 1,000 companies as members. And what's unique about SIG is that it's absolutely non-commercial. So we have 75% of our members are the buyers, or the people that are in the procurement organizations and head up the sourcing organization, and only 25% of our members are allowed to be on the sell side. So we're very particular about who we let in on the sell side and the advisory side. So very different that way. Um, SIG just celebrated its 25th year, and for about the last five years, 10 years, people have been asking us, to create a certification for people in the sourcing industry that was modern. Um, the ones out there that are available to people are viewed as sort of my father's tech training and the, the older world of transactional purchasing. So we created SIG University as a result of that. And we have now put through, in our first year, we, uh, prior to this semester, over 300 students from eight countries have gone through a 13-week certification program. And we are rolling out uh, next year, governance, risk, and compliance certification as well. So it's become the de facto measure for good sourcing professional training. Um, in fact, companies like Honda and uh, PwC, it's mandatory for every new employee to take the training when they're hired into sourcing. So we're very proud of that. So that's big university. And then Outsource is actually uh, formerly a print magazine out of the U.K., and now it's a digital publication, and that is really just to be a disruptive voice for the industry and really push people to, to think outside their normal boundaries 
and to bring cutting-edge techniques and tools and technologies to everyone in the sourcing and outsourcing industry. Wow, that's amazing. You've got a lot going on over there and uh, so many amazing things. Congratulations on the 25 years. That's, that's a really great achievement. So what exactly is sourcing? So sourcing, unlike buying, buying is a very tactical, uh, anyone can do it. It's just a transaction and it's, you know, filling up a shopping cart and checking out. Sourcing is dramatically different because what it does is it looks across your supply base and it looks to consolidate the number of suppliers but more importantly, you strategically source your providers and your, the people you buy from. So you work, you know, for example, one company that I had worked with as a consultant had 17,000 different office supply people they bought from on a worldwide basis. Now, yes, they were worldwide, but they were able to consolidate it down to three companies worldwide for all their office supply. So as a result, all three of them paid a lot more attention they were able to give them a catalog, common eyes on everything they're buying, and as a result, drive down the total cost of ownership. And then on more technical items, strategic sourcing works very closely with provincial or potential providers to streamline what you're buying, and they look at your specifications, we look at how we can redesign it for total cost of ownership, savings, and then we look to go and to get, if you spend more with a supplier than you work you know, if you're, if you're very fragmented, you don't spend much, you don't get that much attention. But when you spend more, you tend to get a lot more attention from the suppliers. So we can, at the same time, drive down total cost, improve quality, and improve service. And that makes everyone that, you, that you're sourcing for very happy. Awesome. So you mentioned to me um, earlier that sourcing has been traditionally considered to be back office and transactional. I think maybe you might have touched, touched upon that uh, um, just now, but how or why has it now become a big part of business strategy, and what has changed? Oh, thanks for asking that, because it's really important to not think of it as simple buying activity. Anyone can buy, but you know, during the 80s, I don't know if you ever heard the term three bits and a buy, it was to fragment your, the thought was, and it actually came out of Ford Motor that originally, that if you really segment your, and use lots and lots of suppliers, so that they have to compete against each other, you will drive down price. And it's absolutely, absolutely right. You drive down price so hard, and you're always just focusing on margin, and that's the only thing that they can, they can give up, is a little more margin, a little more margin, a little more margin. As a result, that's why companies have literally hundreds of thousands of suppliers when they start on this path of becoming strategic. So by pushing down price, First off, you have so many different suppliers, all of that invoicing, receiving, all of the paperwork that goes with it, but you drive up quality because if I'm operating on a razor-thin margin, I don't have time to give you additional service, and I don't have time to improve your quality, nor do I have the space on my margin to improve your quality. So three bids and a buy, beat up the suppliers. Um, there used to you know, be tons of negotiation training. You know, We would literally put people in three different hotel rooms and go back and forth and say, well, they just beat you by 10 cents. They just beat you by 12 cents. You know, give me your next offer. And literally beat up the, the suppliers. And so there's no loyalty. As soon as they can get more margin from someone else, they'll dump you. And so what, what strategic sourcing really has done is created strategic relationships where now, you know, we, we have meat in the game on both sides of the table. We're both striving for quality and service level. And it's changed the relationship. You know, we get people who are very... Um, vested in these relationships and it's not just a good feel good 
But by working more closely together and being transparent, we can drive out costs in our supply chains, we can drive out costs in their supply chains, and we can be creative and innovative together with this new mindset. So it's definitely a huge swing from the 1980s. Yeah, and I think people don't quite realize how much time it takes to actually source the, the different pricing. And in the end, are you really saving, you know, if they are lower margins and, and, and lower, you know, lower costs by 12 cents or 10 cents, are you really saving after all the time that you've spent doing that? Yeah, and, and what you do find is that quality went out the window in the 80s. And that was, a big, that was one of the big issues with the automakers. They had led the charge on the three bids and the buy and beating up the suppliers. And the quality, if you recall, of the U.S. automaking industry was very poor compared to the uh, Japanese at that time. And the Japanese were not approaching their suppliers the way the Americans were. So it, it took a while for people to realize we just drove quality out the window. And it, it became a very aha mindset. Because what we talk about is not price ever. It's not about the price. It's not always about the savings. It is about the total cost of ownership and the additional value. So we source for value, we save through total cost of ownership, which means, you know, if I can bypass an entire function, that we don't have to do that function any longer. I can either redeploy those people, or I can close a facility, I could release it to somebody else. So all kinds of great things come out of sourcing that, that you can't do when you're beating up your suppliers. Right. So can you give us an ex- a specific example of how sourcing has been brought to the boardroom for strategy discussions? You know, a real simple way to think of it is, you know, you pay an electric rate wherever you live. You have a cents per kilowatt hour. And that electric rate gets approved by your local government. Um, so out in California, it was the California Public Utility Commission. And when you go up for review to in- increase your rate, they have to approve it. So there was a time when we were working with a utility where it went to the boardroom because the, every cent per kilowatt hour that we can save the company gives them an opportunity to put that money into other projects that they could not have afforded elsewhere. So by saving the cents per kilowatt hour, they got their rate case approved more quickly because we were able to bring down the cost at the cents per kilowatt hour. But at the same time, we were able to find savings. So in a normal term where they wouldn't have had additional savings um, beyond what they had already budgeted, we were able to produce over $500 million in savings that they were able to turn into construction projects that they had, had put on the back burner. So that got the attention of the board. $500 million of projects we can start today or instead of five years when our next rate case comes up. So it, you know, once you're locked into a rate uh, a cent per kilowatt hour, it's hard, you know, to do anything else that wasn't already budgeted for. So we were able to go to the board and say, we can, you know, bring all these projects forward to you on your timeline. And I apologize. There's a car outside my building that's evening. So we're switch a walk with you and take you to another office. Sure, no problem. I just heard that in the background, but no problem at all. So, so that was the case where it, did, it went right to the boardroom and it made a huge difference. That's a great example, and and I know that we've spoken um, quite extensively so far about how sourcing is is tasked with saving the company money, but you also mention um, in a couple of your blog posts um, for SIG that 
sourcing is always also inc- helping to increase the top line growth as well. So can you explain this and how CPOs maintain that balance between saving the company money and increasing top line growth? Yeah, you know, the sourcing is a great opportunity to find innovative new practices because they talk to suppliers and they create these relationships. So the suppliers are working with hundreds of companies, not just them. So as a result of it, they are able to bring ideas that wouldn't have come to the company any other way. For example, the first time there were uh, telephones in airplanes, those actually came from a supplier who had brought the idea through the purchasing department. Selling it as an idea at the top, they couldn't get the doors open, but they were already in a relationship with, with their um, people in procurement, and they were able to take an idea that became revenue generating. So if they work innovatively together, they can say, well, at this company, we did this, and it really worked well, or why don't you consider adding this to your product line? They, you, you get so many more insights. So we can drive income as well as save bottom line. So we're doing two things tremendously well. You know, in manufacturing, if you save a few dollars, it comes out of cost of goods sold. But when you're talking about sourcing indirect product, it's a dollar saved is a dollar to your bottom line. A dollar in is a dollar of revenue you didn't have before. So we can make really huge impacts on the financials. That's amazing. And, and you say, you've, you've also mentioned in uh, some of the articles I've read and uh, just in our discussions previously, but why do you think a CPO should report directly to the CEO? You know, all right, so let's go back historically. Back in the 80s, I would say a lot of CFOs were seen as bean counters, and I'm allowed to say that as a CPA. They have now risen in most organizations to be the, at the right hand of the CEO. And what I'm saying is that instead of us reporting up to finance, we should be reporting directly to the CEO on the other side. And the reason I say this is if you're in finance and you're doing budgets, you're looking at things before they happen, or you're looking at reports and financial statements after the events have occurred. The difference is, is that sourcing were given the same respect as the CFO and the same attention. We see redundancy, stupidity, and waste happening real time. So we're seeing it, we're seeing people making poor buying decisions, poor delivery decisions, poor, I mean, everything from, you know, how they move the materials around real time while it's happening. So we can impact play real time versus at the front end of budgeting or at the back end of um, reporting. And now with all of the advent, with the cognitive computing, we're going to be able to start getting very predictive as well. So we can predict when we're going to have some risk in the supply chain. We're going to be able to predict when there might be a shortage or an outage. So our predictive capabilities have improved so much that I really see it equally important to the CEO as the CFO. Right. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. I mean, you know, not only the financial side, but also, you know, the CPO's role is so vital to the um, the business itself that it really does make sense that they should report directly to the CEO, just like the CFO. I agree with that completely. So do you have a story you can share of the impact of having a C- CPO report directly to the CEO in a specific organization? I do. I can't show their name, but we, you know, I say most CPOs have a small C in front of their name, not a capital C. Um, you know, back in the 90s when we first started sourcing, there wasn't even a chief procurement officer. 
there was a chief financial officer. So just the recognition of the of how far we've come is fantastic. But there is one huge global organization where the CPO reports directly into the CEO, and they earned that right, but they came through it a little bit differently. They had formerly been in a finance operation, and they were able to convince the CFO of the importance once they went over and became the CPO of the importance of the organization. So they had the backing of the CFO to say, hey, it's great for them to report up through me, but I'm now sold on the significance. So the CFO, in this case, was the one who helped get them seated next to the CEO. And you know, supposedly from all the pay studies that have been done, they're still not paid equal to a CFO, but at least they have the ear of the CEO. And that's so important in some of the organizations. But I will say, you know, I'd say 75% of the SIG members report up to finance, uh, some through operations, occasionally at other places. Um, it makes sense that they have a global business services to report up to as a grouping of all the shared services. But if they don't have that, it really does make sense. And this one company has proven it, and they and they love the attention and the ability to be able to drive change because they have the support of the CEO. It has been huge for them. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I mean, I and and I want to go back to why did you say it's a small C and not a big C? Because it's not it's not recognized in companies to be equal to a, a CFO or a COO. So, you know, we've got the word chief. And that's great, but it's not the same. It's not the same as the other C's. They don't always get invited to the boardroom. They don't necessarily always sit with the other executives. So, and they're certainly not paid as much. There's a huge pay disparity between CFOs and CPOs. And CPOs, you know, the CFO obviously is managing all the money of the company, but the CPO is impacting, you know, two to fifty billion dollars in spend sometimes. Yeah, that's a huge improvement to the company, but there's still not, the pay structure is not there yet, but it's definitely improving. HR is starting to recognize that, you know, people that are strong in sourcing have a lot of street value, and anyone who's good in sourcing will always have a job. They, they can go where they want to go. So they're finally getting HR to start noticing it. So the small C will grow up to be a big C, but it's going to take a little while still. I think we're still, hopefully before I retire, my, my whole passion is about elevating the industry to be respected and seen as strategic. So the more we automate, the more we get rid of the transactional procurement and things like that, the better off we'll be. So um, I'm looking forward to it. I think it will happen, but it's still a little ways off. Yeah, and I think it's also important. I mean, the CFO has a lot of things on his plate or his or her plate, and it would be nice to be able to take that component and um, sort of delegate it and work alongside with the CPO rather than working above or or them having to report that side of the business into the CFO and put more on the CFO's plate. And they can focus more on the financial end for that business and leave the procurement to the chief procurement officer. So we're going to take the uh, conversation a little bit of a different direction. We're, I mean, we just spoke a little bit about the future. Um, your passion definitely comes through in the conversation. So 
What do you see happening in the sourcing industry in the next five to 10 years? What are the challenges? We've talked a little bit about, um, you know, the, the predictive, the big data, the analytics, the technology, um, the little C turning into the big C. But what, what else do you see happening in the sourcing industry? And uh, do you foresee any challenges um, in the near future? Yeah, I think well, one of the things that I'm hoping is that there'll be a rapid adoption of robotic process automation and that we'll get rid of transactional purchasing altogether. And you know, I was talking to somebody from a huge manufacturing uh, component company the other day, and he said, oh, no, we would never want to automate all of the transactions. And what he wasn't thinking is of cognitive computing. We can automate and have assurance if we have the right kind of cognitive computing if it's looking for risk in our supply chain, if it's listening to what's happening on social media, we can actually automate and then spend our time being smarter. So use the big data that we have. And I do think a lot of the e-procurement solution providers will start building in the AI into their solutions because we need the AI to start doing something with this data. So CPOs realize that they have massive amounts of data, they haven't learned how to become data scientists. Um, it's actually exciting. IBM just hired, in their procurement organization, hired two data scientists. They have a chief data officer now who reports to the CPO, and their whole job is to dig through the data, to look for trends, to identify risk, and to make sense of the data so they can become more predictive. Amazing. So are changing. I think we're going to need to have data scientists, and, and actually at SIG University, we're building some coursework around this. People are going to, I think, as the millennials are in full force in the workforce, you know, where they're used to tools and automation and computers at such, you know, at such a young age compared to the baby boomers. I think we'll see a lot of the the um, the really the strategies and the implementation of the strategies is going to be much more strategic using the tool sets and the capabilities. So I think we will get predictive analytics. I think we will be able to forecast, truly forecast, the first time in our lives. You know, IBM, for example, has Watson. They recently purchased the Weather Channel, which seems like an odd thing to purchase, but they did it because they want to have the weather as part of their predictive analytics. So they're using weather to say that there may be an issue in, in you know, they had it actually a year ago when the Hurricane was heading towards Puerto Barca. Their offices in Guadalajara recognized it. They were able to remove a whole bunch of, of their computing capability, shift it halfway around the world so they didn't have an outage when the hurricane came to Puerto Barca and then went to Guadalajara. So by using the weather channel as part of their predictive analytics, they avoided a major outage. So the more we can be smart and use the data that's out there, and start acting more like Watson and IBM and Google and those folks, I, I think we're going to just see just tremendous things coming out of our organization. Yeah, it's so interesting to um, listen to the different companies and and really uh, see what impacts their organization and what data they're going to be utilizing um, just to make business more efficient on a day-to-day basis. I mean, that's amazing using the weather and and, uh, you know, being proactive rather than reactive. And, and I think that's what we're going to see with a lot of that data that's going to be coming down the line. Now, you, you mentioned AI. Can you explain AI and uh, what, you, what you meant by, by that term? 
AI is artificial intelligence, and really what we're talking about is it's artificial intelligence. Some people call it machine learning. Some people say it's cognitive computing. Um, so it's really it's the power of the fact that you can teach machine, you can get feedback from it, you can then teach it how to, you can train it to, to say, you know, these re three responses are right, the fourth one is not. This is why. And then next time the machine comes and hits the same, the fourth one again, now they've got the right answer. Then it comes to you with a whole other set of if, then, this will happen. So it's like making a decision tree that it goes to at lightning speed, and it's able to learn from its past mistakes and start predicting, and all you do is correct it. So it's a little bit like you train Siri when you first had Siri on your phone. You'd, they would ask you to repeat the word, you'd repeat it, they'd come back, they'd say, correct, yes, it is. Or your Alexa, you know, if you have Alexa from Amazon in your kitchen or something, you can train them to your voice, and they get better and better at it to the point that they can start saying, you know, my Alexa actually is smart enough now to say, you know, you haven't ordered paper towels in a while. Should I place an order for you? So things like that where it's now learning my patterns and able to start predicting for me. So on a much bigger scale with all of this data that we have, you know, in the World Wide Web, we have the ability to see things that we never saw were there before. For example, Google, um, the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, contracted years ago with Google to identify flu outbreaks because Google is much faster at saying we just had, you know, four million hits on what are, you know, tell me about flu symptoms or what are the symptoms of this year's flu. They identified in a geographic area where this information was coming from think about how much faster that response is compared to years ago when you go to a doctor and then a couple doctors would say, yeah, I'm starting to notice the trend, and then they would talk to their, their county you know, health department, and then they would report it up to the Center for Disease Control. Well, by then, the flu's been in, in your city or your town for you know, six, eight weeks by the time they've accumulated information. Now, with predictive analytics, Google can say, hey, you've got a flu outbreak. You need to get your flu shots here. You need to be paying attention here. You need to... That's where machine learning and by using this data, and we're just becoming so much more intelligent using the computing power. I mean, because my cell phone, you know, my iPhone, has more computing power than my first PC had in its entire box. <laughs> and, you know, so we're just, we're in exponential times. You know, the latest MacBook Air, or MacBook Air that came out today, has two terabytes of storage. So... Mm -hmm. Everything is just becoming more data. IBM estimated um, when they were presenting at our summit last week that 90% of the world's data has been created in the last two or three years. Wow. So, like, yeah, so if we don't use things like artificial intelligence and you know, use engines like Watson, we're going to, you're going to be locked behind or, or somebody else will, will one day own you. So we all have to be aware of what's coming down the pike, and we all have to accept it. And it does sometimes feel like you're drinking out of a firehouse, but it's also so exciting at the possibilities of what we can do. And then we can have people not doing boring, mundane tasks. We can have them reallocated to more exciting and strategic work. So it's really, it's really a neat time that we're living in. So exciting, and but everything is happening so fast. We're we're gonna have to, you know, embrace it and just learn it at the at the pace that it's coming at us. So, um, 
changing the topic just slightly, I want to know from you, you know, what top sourcing and supply chain companies or executives are you following? Um, You know, you mentioned IBM, you've mentioned Google. I'm just wondering if maybe there's, you know, some top companies, executives that you're following that our audience might also be interested in following or checking out. I definitely would. Dan Carroll, um, IBM, is just uh, brilliant. Um, I also would follow Honda. They're doing some really exciting things in automation um, and of their their entire supply chain. I would follow Amazon. What they have been able to do and automate is incredible. So I do follow executives from Amazon, Google, just because they are just constantly reinventing and creating new things. Um, I would say Oculus, that's another new thing that's just coming down the pike now is that they're using Oculus um, for virtual reality to train buyers. So a buyer can be sitting at a desk, and I hate the term buyer, so a sourcing professional is sitting at a desk and can be wearing Oculus uh, virtual reality and take a tour of a shop or a floor of a warehouse that's hundreds of miles away and see the parts of the machine that they're buying and replacements for and see the actual facility live like they're experiencing it. Wow. So, yeah, so this is what some, you know, these are what the futuristic companies are doing. They're, they're using these tools right now to train people from their desk so that they're living as if, you know, I went inside a, a huge transformer at a, at a power plant or I'm walking through a machine shop or I'm walking down the floor of a, of a warehouse and I'm interacting with the workers through virtual reality I, I will become so much better informed that when I do meet these people in person and I go there in person, I've been there. So now let's take the conversation to the next level. I've already walked around. I've seen everything. So now let's talk about how I can truly serve you. So it's really neat. I mean, we're just, it's, just so, it's just so wonderful. So I follow companies like that. I think virtual reality is definitely going to have a place in our supply chain. We're hosting a Challenge the Future awards program in February uh, in London. And it's challenge the future of work. How can people change the way they work through automation, or, you know, robotics, through AI, through cognitive computing, through all these other things that never even existed? So it's pretty exciting times. We have 52 applications that came in already so far, and I am blown away with some of the newest technologies that are coming at us. Yeah, and, and it's it's interesting. It's just going to bring the world smaller and smaller and smaller. And it's amazing what what ideas and things are coming out of this. So we're going to have all of your information on our um, on our website so that people can go and uh, check out some of the initiatives that SIG has, and uh, especially this London opportunity. It sounds amazing. I don't know if you've heard of FIRST, um, but we were actually talking to them at a conference a couple of weeks ago, and they also have robotics competitions where they send out kits um, to, I believe it's kids, and they have a certain period of time to put something together, and then they actually come together in a competition. And it's it's amazing what these organizations, uh, such as yourself, are doing. So what is next for SIG? Hi. What's next for SIG? Well... I'm attending Singularity University um, at Stanford in January, and I'm really excited because this is where you know, they talked about self-driving cars you know, five years ago. So this will be a chance to see and hear from the 
the really bleeding edge type of um, inventors and people you know, coming out with new things. And we'll work a lot in the innovation lab. So I'm excited for that because I think it's going to bring a lot, a lot more ideas back to SIG. But really, our job is to make SIG members aware of things before they're asked about it by their boss. The last thing I want is a CFO saying, what are you doing around RPA and FMJ? What does it stand for? Or AI, what does it stand for? So we want to always be bringing the latest and greatest and what's coming down the pipe ahead of the curve for our members. So we call it next practice versus best practice, N-E-X-T. It's always the next practice that you should be focusing on. So our job is to look you know, ahead a couple years and try and formulate how it's going to affect sourcing and supply chain, and then work that into our training, our presentations, our webinar series. So for sake, it's going to always be reinventing ourselves for our members. And I'm pretty excited, you know, with our, our um, global launch and through our acquisition at Outdoors, you know, we now have events going on all over EMEA. Um, so we're hopefully going to get on every continent pretty soon. A lot of launch of our business down into Latin America as well. So this, this is an exciting time. It's a really exciting time. Yeah, it sounds like you guys are at the forefront of innovations. Um in general, let alone the sourcing industry. So I just want to thank you, Don, so much for coming on the show. I think our listeners are going to get a lot of valuable information. I mean, you've shared so much amazing information about the sourcing industry, and we love what you guys are doing at SIG. So we're excited for the future, and uh, we're excited to see that innovation and uh, really enjoyed talking to you today with all of your passion about sourcing and the industry. So thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for the opportunity. I will talk to anyone about this. I love this subject. Sorry, Dawn. Sorry, babe number one. Work duty called, and I could not make it for the actual recording. If you want to learn more about SIG, visit them at SIG.org or SIGUniversity.org. Thank you to Dawn for coming on our show today and providing so much valuable information about sourcing. Coming up on our next show, we are talking about the cast of characters it takes to complete a trade transaction with Caroline Tompkins, President and CEO of FITS, Forms of International Trade Training. Remember to visit our website for additional tools and resources at twobabestalksupplychain.com and follow us on Insta, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Have a great day, and just remember everyone, ship happens. Are you struggling to make the most out of your supply chain and keep the orders moving efficiently? IceCorp is your supply chain specialist, and they specialize in e-commerce, retail, and dropship distribution. They will provide you with tailor-made solutions that will drive your business and sales forward. To get your free assessment, visit them at icecorplogistics.com and check out their learning center as they have some great free resources waiting for you.